The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Well, if you got your Bible, start. Uh, turn with me to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm 119, uh, today we'll be going through, uh, we're kind of sort of going through verses uh, 81 to 83. Uh, this is part one, but there is so much that's so good in this psalm that we're probably going to be uh, here for a couple of weeks. Um, while you're turning there and getting yourself situated uh, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, the late Tim Keller, Dr. Tim Keller, he writes, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. Whoa. And here's the thing, family. It's not, not only is it inevitable that we will endure suffering and difficulty in life, but it will be suffering, and for a lot of us, suffering that's long-lasting, and even come to the place where it will try our patience all the way till we get to the end of our rope. Even if, for some of us, it might feel like there is soap on the rope, we get to the end of it. <laughs> What's more, even if, in all honesty, we're doing our best to be obedient to the Lord and working hard to glorify God, it seems that we can't escape the pain and suffering that comes through life. It doesn't matter. It just seems like that sometimes, right? It doesn't matter how much I obey. It doesn't matter how good of a Christian walk I walk. It just seems like it's inevitable. I can't seem to get around or escape the pain of suffering that comes from this life. And it seems that no matter what we do, we just cannot avoid the inevitable. So Shane, explain the pain. <laughs> the inevitability of the testing of our faith. But it's true. Shane, my heart's desire is to live a godly life. You gotta believe that. That's, that's my heart's desire. I wanna live a godly life. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. So yeah, hey, I wanna live a godly life, Shane. Well, yeah, then you're going to suffer. It's inevitable. You can't escape it. You can't get around it. We should know it. We should accept it, that it is inevitable. So that way, when suffering, trials, tribulation, circumstances, and all those things come our way, we're not surprised by it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. But Shane, come on. Are we really supposed to Believe everything that the Bible says? <laughs> I get that question all the time, when, especially when it comes to suffering and trials. Like, are we really supposed to do this? Are we really supposed to take joy when it comes? Because Shane, let's be honest, doesn't it seem strange? Would it not seem strange if an individual is going through fiery trials in their lives and they're walking around with a smile on their face? It would seem strange if you acted that way. It would seem strange if you're taking joy in all the trials and tribulations. If you're joyful about it, that would seem strange. I, I would think that you were 
uh, or that we're witnessing the action of a mentally disturbed individual. I think I need a second opinion. Okay, well, James gives us one. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or some of your translations will say perseverance. Okay, well, that's a good second opinion. Uh, you know, you had Peter's opinion, now you got James's opinion. Uh, how about a third opinion? Well, and Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. It's inevitable. Trials, tribulations, suffering, things that happen in the world, it is inevitable. And how about our psalmist today in Psalm 119, verse 71, Psalm 119, 71. My suffering was good for me. What? My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Now, family, pain, I know we don't like pain. Pain hurts. You know, pain's one of those things that gets our attention. And that's exactly why it's good, because it gets our attention. We learn from pain, right? So, you know, it's like when you were really young and your mom always told you to not touch that glowing red coil that's on the stove. And what, is, what do we do as children when our parents tell us not to do something? We just gotta do it. So you get up there, you reach up there, and you touch that glowing, that beautiful glowing red coil that's up there, and you touch it, and ow. And then what? Then you learn something, right? That's what, you, that's what your parents, well, did you learn something today, Shane? Yes, I learned to never do that again. Or if I do, I should have some kind of glove that I put on. We learn from pain. Pain is one of those things that's getting our attention. And a lot of times in life, we have pain in our life. It's there to get our attention. So today, are we paying attention to our pain? Are we learning from our pain today? Suffering is inevitable, and we get it. But what of the long suffering that we endure? Our suffering can go on and on and on. I mean, people will say, hey, Shane, I've been going through circumstances. I've been going through circumstances, situations and things and, and problems in my life ever since I was born. Man, it's been like this my entire life. It goes on and on. It does not stop. It feels like forever. And I get, I get that this must happen. But how long? How long is this going to last? And here's the thing. It's the way our psalmist, the psalmist felt. In Psalm chapter 6, verse 2 to 3, Psalm chapter 6, verses 2 to 3, have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me. That's a common theme in scripture. How long? How long is this going to happen? How long do I need to endure this? It's been going on for so long. How long? The, is there an answer to this question today? How long, oh Lord? Well, you know what, family? The answer is already given. Let's check it out today. Psalm chapter 119, verses 81 to 83. I am worn out waiting for your rescue, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes are straining to see your promises come true. When will you comfort me? 
I am shriveled like a wineskin in the smoke, but I have not forgotten to obey your decrees. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and God, I pray that it continues to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So family, if you're taking notes today, the first thing that we're going to look at is the reality of waiting during our time of suffering. And the second thing we're going to look at is to see the hope and the power and salvation that we receive from the gospel of Jesus that will bring us to an everlasting hope on earth as there is in heaven. So the thesis statement today is this, and for those of you that don't know, a thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose sight of the truth of Christ and trust in the sovereignty of God when we face trials of many kinds, it's the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will illuminate the everlasting hope that we find in Christ and in Christ alone. So point number one, Lord, I'm waiting. Lord, I'm waiting. And this quote that I'm going to give you here today is very, I, I think that from this theologian, a wise theologian wrote it, and I thought this was very, very profound and stuck with me for years. A wise theologian once said, you will never know that God is all that you need until the time comes when God is all that you have. You are never going to know that God is all that you need until you come to the place where God is all you have. And family, that is a huge thing, especially in our culture today, in our very you know, entitlement-driven, narcissistic in some ways driven, all of this stuff. In our culture today, the issue is, is that it's really difficult for us to get to the place where God is all that we have. Whoa, weird. Why would you say that? I feel like that all the time. Let's be honest, family. In our country today, in our culture today, things could be a lot worse. Things could be a lot worse for the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not like, you know, thrilled about what's going on in modern evangelicalism today, but I will admit it can be a lot worse. There could be a lot of things that could be wrong <laughs> with our, the church and our culture today. You know, and, and yes, we do suffer persecution, but man, you hear stories about persecution about what's happening to the, to the church in other countries, in, in other parts of the globe, about you know, things that happen. I'm talking to my brother, uh, you know, IDOX today, about an article that I read uh, just yesterday about uh, the, there was a, apparently a story that I was reading about 100 uh, Nigerian Christians were massacred on, Christian, on Christmas Day. You know, they just killed 100 Christians and, you know, for no reason. It was just like, that's what they do. You know, that's what they did. And so I'm, I come up to, to IDOX and I'm like, hey, brother, man, I heard about what happened. I'm really sorry about the home and all that stuff. I, I, this is just really terrible. I'll be, you know, I mean, I'm praying for that, that, wow, on Christmas Day, they massacred 100, 100 Christians? And IDOX looks at me and he goes, dude, that's every day. <laughs> And that, that, that struck me as like, wow, that's every day, and we just don't know it. Family, things could be a lot worse. So here's the thing. How, if we never get to the place where God is all that we have, how will we ever truly get ourselves into the position where we know that God is all that we need? How do we get there? Our psalmist, even worn out from enduring a long season of suffering, sees that the only salvation needed is the salvation that comes from the living God. Now that's huge. 
to see and understand what he's saying here, where he's like, God, you, you, you are my God. I need you. I need your salvation. I need your deliverance. Because our psalmist has come to this very important place where he realizes that God is all that he needs. But on top of that, he's showing us and telling us that God is all that he wants as well. That's it. I realize that God is all that I need. But you know what? There's nothing else that I want. And that's our problem in our culture today. It's just like, yes, God, you are all that we need. God, you're all that I want. But you know what? If somebody were to you know, give me $10,000, that would solve a lot of problems. Come on, you're laughing because you know I'm right. There's a lot of things in this world. Some of our younger people will be like, God, you're all that I need. But you know what? The new, the latest, greatest video game that came out, that would make me feel good for a while too. God, how could you have given me the spouse that I have today? All that I've done. God, you're the only thing that can help me through this. But a nice red Ferrari might help out as well. So much in our culture that becomes distractions, that gets us to the place where we're not really sure that God is all that we need. But that's just not our culture. I mean, we've seen it, right, in Proverbs, in Proverbs 38, you know, where he's praying, you know, God, make, give me not wealth. He, in Pilgrim's Progress, it talks about the prayer that nobody prays. Lord, give me not wealth. But the wisdom in what he was saying was, don't give me so much money that I get to the place where I say, who is God? Essentially, what do I need God for? I got everything I want here. We don't ever want to get to the place where we don't need God. But see, the psalmist is telling us something great here. Not only is he saying, look, God, I need you. God, I want you only. You're the only thing I want. There is no side thing. There is nothing. He sees that the only salvation that's going to truly save him is the salvation that comes from God. Do we recognize and see that? That the only salvation that we can truly, where we're truly saved, is the salvation that comes from God. Now, a lot of things in this world can promise you the good life. You know, they say, hey, this is the good life. Let us show you how you can have the good life. We'll give you the 10 principles for you to have the good life. Just, you know, for $29.99, you can buy my series. It'll unlock the, the link where you can go download it, and it'll change and revolutionize your life. Let us show you how you can have the good life. Here's the reality. You cannot have a truly good life unless it's the life that the Lord gives you. And we've got to stop believing that we can have anything else and anything more other than that. Everything else outside of that is artificial and it's not real. But that's the thing I think I wonder sometimes. We're okay with living in deception. You know, we make fun of the quote, ignorance is bliss. But I think that that's the motto for generations that are coming up, that are, that are rising up right now in our culture today. Just the less we know, the better it is. But you're deceived. Yeah, so what? So what? Some of us would rather live in the matrix and stay in the matrix. Knowing that it's not real, we'd rather stay there than have to deal with the real. Huh. 
So how can we ever get to this reality if we never get to the place where God is all we have? When we get to the place where we have almost nothing left but God, that's when we push the eject button, and that's when we walk away from God, from the church, and from Christianity. That's when we jump ship. That's when we give up. That's when we let go. When we're almost to the place where we have nothing left but God, that's when we feel like we got to get out, because I got to get out while I still have something in life. All I got left is the clothes on my back. I'm going to get out of this before I'm naked and nothing. So we really never get to the place where we realize that all we need is God because we never really had nothing left but God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 27. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 27. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. That, that, you know, that's striking, right? Because in our culture today, that's, that's what we're consumed with. That's what we're preoccupied with, right? Occupied with worrying about everyday life. Difficult, that's hard. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store foods in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? God is trying to rip us and strip us from all things so that we have nothing left but God so we can truly see and we can truly realize that he's all that we need. What if he's doing all of this to get us to realize that? Look, I want you to realize that I am all that you need. Man, isn't that a powerful thing? Wouldn't that be a powerful revolutionizing thing for us to get to the place where when we have nothing left but God, we are completely fine and content? But we'll never get this because we are dependent on the artificial rescue of the world, of the wooden swords, of the momentary distraction relief, of the chemical-induced relief, and all the broken cisterns that can't hold water yet make us think that we are rescued. It's the Oculus virtual reality that the world provides, making us think we are at a birthday party in Beverly Hills when in reality we are still trapped on the deserted island. That's why we can't ever get to the place where we believe that God is all that we need. Constantly distracted, constantly living life in deception, constantly believing what it is that the world is feeding us. A family, we're, we're going to do so much better at the, in the church, in our culture today, when we stop taking our cues from the world and start letting it be based on Scripture. Like, for real. Oh, Shane, I'm a Southern Baptist, man. My life, it, it's founded on Scripture. Yeah, is it really? I'm sorry, I just, I got to ask that question today. Is it really? Oh, my whole life, everything is biblically based. Is it really? Shane, I believe everything that the Bible tells me. Do you really? Or do we still suffer from what Paul Tripp calls functional atheism? Where we as Christians, we come to church we believe, we worship God, but, but as soon as we walk out, we live life as if God doesn't exist. We make decisions. The decisions that we make has no faith or trust in God. You know, it's like individuals will say, well, hey, you know what, Jane, what we got to do is we got to, you know, yeah, Sunday morning we worship God, but Monday morning we've got to start calling our congressmen. We got to start calling this stuff. We got to get our government because our government is the thing that's going to revolutionize. It's going to change everything. You know, I can't afford this government anymore. I can't afford to live life under this regime anymore. We've got to change this kind of stuff because when that stuff actually changes, when we got new leaders in, our, in the government, then life is going to be better. So like I've said before, I'll say it again. We live life coming to church on Sunday 
saying, Oh, Jesus, we worship you. You, oh, Lord, the King of kings who has risen from the grave. And then Monday morning we wake up believing that he is still in the grave. Where's Jesus in all this? Where's Jesus in our life? Are we going to trust? Do we trust? Do we rest in the promises that he's given us? Huh. It's when all these things are gone and when we truly have nothing left but God, this is when we will see the true providence of God in our lives. This is when we will have true joy. We see that all we need is God and we realize that he will never leave us nor will he forsake us. How powerful is that? When we really believe that all we need is God, how powerful is that? When that's the realization, that's the conclusion, all we need is God. Then when we say, all I have is God, that's a powerful thing. That's when the scriptures like, this world, you will have no power over me unless it's given to you from above. That's when those passages of scriptures will revolutionize the way we live and the way we walk. When we're going through difficult times and we hear these scriptures and the scriptures that the pastor quotes, but it just drives me nuts when the pastor talks about that scripture, you know, when we are weak, you know, then we are strong. In reality, we don't like that. We don't like hearing those types of things where we need to embrace our weakness because our culture is telling us that weakness is not good. So we don't like weakness. We do everything we can to not be weak. But then, for some of us in our culture today, we're so weak that we become victims, but do we look to God to be the source and our provider? Do we look to God, who we believe is sufficient enough to take care of us when we are in weakness? When we are feeling like we're victims, no. We look to other people. We look to the government. We look to special interest groups. We look to ideologies that come into the world to glorify and to strengthen those of us who are weak and distracted. Do we look to God or do we look to the world? But here's the thing. Here's my question and here's my challenge to you today. You say, you know what, Shane? I don't agree. I think that there's other things in this world that we can go to other than God. Maybe that's what you're saying. Maybe that's what you think. My question is this. Name one. Let's take the Pepsi challenge on this. Name one. Name one thing. Because here's the reality. Where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? Like I said before, I mean, one of the big things that we have in our culture today that we suffer from is this thing, this God called money. And it's just like, hey, God, you know what? I need you. I need you in my life. But you know what? If money comes into my life, then, you know, I'm good. I mean, and, we get, and we get to that place where that's what we think. That's what we believe. So money comes into our life. And that's, that's what we get. So we got this. But here's the thing, what we found throughout all of history, what we found throughout all of church history is money doesn't solve the issue. Money in all actuality that we're seeing in history, when you look at the history of, of wealth and, and capitalism and stuff, you study those types of things within our history, all money does is make you want more. It never ends. It's never enough. Right? Remember they asked Rockefeller that question? When is, when is it enough? And Rockefeller said, just a little more. But you've got hundreds of millions of dollars. When is that going to be enough? You know what? It'll be enough when I get just a little more. It's only Christ that can give us true satisfaction. Because when it comes to Christ, there's no such thing as a little more. It's everything. Do we believe that? 
Do we believe that today? Where else are you going to go? Nothing else in this world is more than just a broken cistern. Jeremiah chapter 12 verse 13, or chapter 2 verse 13, Jeremiah 2 13. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Wow. Is that what we do? It's like the disciples said in John chapter 6 verse 68, John 6 68, Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Where else are we going to go? When it comes to Christ the Lord, waiting is worth it. Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. Psalm 27, 14. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Even in prayer, do you know that we're supposed to persevere in prayer? Jesus is telling us right off the bat here, right out the door, he's telling us that prayer is not going to be an easy thing. It's going to be something that's going to require long suffering. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke 18, 1. One day, day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Why would he tell us to never give up? He's warning us. He's telling us it's going to be long suffering. We've got to wait on the Lord. And if we wait on the Lord, it will be worth it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wow. You know, I didn't realize just how Magnificent that passage of scripture is when it comes to the place that it says, they shall run and not be weary until I turn 50. Man, I'm like thinking back to the days where I could run and not be weary. And I'm just like, man, look at all the stuff I accomplished in life. Look at all the things I could do. Do you know what I could do right now with all the wisdom that I have gained throughout all the years of my life? if I had a body that could keep up with it. <laughs> that passage of scripture is, is it's genuine to me now. It's beautiful to me now. Man, wouldn't it just be awesome to one day just wake up and just have the same energy you had when you were 18 years old? Yeah. Man. All of Aurora would be saved in one day. (laughs) Family, we don't give up. We wait on the Lord and we don't give up. We need to get to the place. We need to get to the position where we don't give up. I'm, uh, I'm going to ruin a very, very popular illustration <laughs> that you get. You, know, you hear that joke where, you know, a guy is trapped on the roof in a flood? You guys heard that one? And then, he, and then a boat comes by and he says, he's praying, oh, Lord, I need you to save me. And then the boat comes by and then he says, no, 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 no. I'm waiting for the boat. I'm waiting for God to save me. And then God sends a helicopter no, 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 thank you very much, but I'm waiting for God to save me. I'm going to ruin that joke today. Let the boat go by. Let the helicopter go by. Let the Coast Guard go by. I am wanting God to reach down from heaven and reach out his hand and give me the hand, the divine hand of glory that I'm going to reach out, grab onto, and hold on with dear life. Accept no substitutes, family. We want to be delivered, but we want to be delivered by the hand of God. Nothing else will do but God himself. Now, let me also say this. That, that joke is not, I mean, there's truth to that joke. What I'm trying to say is I'm using it in a different way to show us to not be deceived by the artificial. We want the genuine. 
We want the genuine. And our psalmist is saying, look, there's all kinds of things that can quote unquote rescue me, but the only rescue that I'm looking for, the only rescue that I want is the rescue from the very hand of God. Now what? Now here's the thing that I think is really important for us to get. We do not let go of his word. Our psalmist has put his hope in the word of the living God. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm saying. That no other word, no other ideology, no other method, nothing in this world that the world gives is to be taken by us unless it comes from the very word of God. It's got to be the word. So he's saying here, I'm faint. I am, I am done. I don't have any more strength. I am wore out. This is it. But you know what, God? I'm clinging to your word. Now, how in the world, in our culture today, in modern evangelicalism, are we going to cling to the word of God during times of suffering when we can't even cling to the word of God during times of celebration? When times are good, we're still throwing the Bible out in favor of pop psychology and the wisdom of the world and the, the, the transcript that we get from the TV show, The View. How many of y'all watch The View? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I wish you guys could have saw Donna. Donna's just like, how many of y'all watch The View? I heard they're getting canceled. You know, all that, I mean, the... the, the all, all the stuff, this stuff what, why is it? What is it about what it is that the world tells us, what the, the, the Scientologist tells us, what the scientist tells us, what, what the, the astrologers and all those guys, what they tell us? Why is all of that so appealing when we've got the very truth from the divine word of God in front of us? Why is that an issue? He's saying, truly, I am going to hang on and I am still hopeful and I'm clinging to your word because I know, God, you will fulfill your promise because you cannot break the promise that you have made. It says in your word that you cannot lie. So I can stand on this. He also will not nor cannot expel or disappoint the hope that we receive from his word. Because when we read his word, we have hope and there is no way God wants to dispel that hope within us. Again, how freeing would it be to actually believe what God promises in the scripture is true? How freeing would that be if we actually believe that? What if we really believe that God's word was God's word? How freeing would that be? How awesome would that be? And God will not let the hope that we get from the scriptures return void. Do you know why? Because in his word, Isaiah 55, 11, Isaiah 55, 11, it is the same with my word. I send it out it will, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. This is a guarantee. This is God's promise. God will back up his word. You know, that's why, that's why I tell you all the time, like, you know, for those of you that have joined me, we're gonna, again, we're going to start in, in January, like, tomorrow, we're going to start, you know, the TikTok, Instagram, we're going to start doing all of our God and gospel, you know, videos where we're reaching out to the community, and for those of you that want to get involved, I love it when you guys come in there and get involved, but what, what's, what's the one thing, for those of you that have done this, what is the one thing I tell you to do every single time you engage with the culture when it comes to, you know, the, the topic that we're discussing in these videos? The one thing I tell you to do, the number one thing when you respond to this individual without fail, you give them scripture. Sure, have fun, argue, you know, your scientific points, you know, your, your apologetic principles, you know, your method. Fine, have fun, do all of that stuff, but do not leave that, that conversation without giving them the word of God. Well, why do I say that? Because sure, I, I like to believe that God is going to bless my eloquence. 
that he's going to bless my education, that he's going to bless, to bless all the profound things that I wrote, all my apologetic methods and all that. You know, I'd like to think that. But the one thing I know for a fact God is going to bless and God is going to back up, it's his word. God's going to bless his word. And when it comes down to it, when it's all said and done, and the fire comes, and it burns up all my nonsense, God's word is still going to be standing. So we always stay with it. God promises that he's going to bless his word, that his word is not going to return void. So that scripture that they read God is going to bless that, and that scripture is not going to return. So as long as I know, I'm going to, and I get this because I get, I get the, the backlash, right? Shane, is that all you can do is quote scripture? So I know they read it. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, it's not all that I can do, but it's all that I need to do. You read it and God's word won't return to him void. Family, today, when we read the scripture, know that God's word won't return void. It will accomplish its purpose. It's because of the word of God that we can have hope, even when there's no hope at all. Our psalmist is wore out. He has nothing left. He's got no more energy. He has nothing left but God. He, exhausted, he is exhausted from waiting, yet he does one thing. He holds on to the very word of God. It's what we have to hold on to. It's the only thing that gives us real hope. Family, it's my definition of truth. When people ask me, define, what is truth? I say the 66 books of the Bible. It is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It's reporting supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific properties, prophecies and claim their writings are divine and not human in origin. Family, it's the book that was written by approximately 40 men from different backgrounds over the course of 1,500 years, over 25,000. Thousand New Testament manuscripts in Greek, Latin, Coptic, and other languages from the first century all the way to the 16th century with numerous variants, but clearly not one article of faith or precept of duty is affected at all. With all that there is, the message of the scriptures are not altered in any way. No assertion of contradictions has ever been confirmed. It has survived every skeptic. It survived every attack. Every attempt to annihilate it has failed. Every Every time it's attacked, when the dust settles, the scriptures are still standing. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will remain forever. Nothing in this world comes close. The Bible has clearly made the claim that it is the word of God, and it's showing itself to be, and has clearly shown itself to be, the very word of God. No way anything else in this world comes close to being as awesome and amazing when all is said and done the Bible the word of God was good enough for our psalmist who only had Old Testament revelation if it was good enough for him then it is definitely good enough for us now because now we possess the once and for all given revelation of the word of God it and yet the one thing the one thing that can give us hope point number two God will not let fail the one thing that God has given us that he said that he would not let fail and our God can do a lot can't he <laughs> and we've seen it throughout all the scriptures the one thing that he said he is not going to let fail. For many of us in modern evangelicalism today, it's the one thing that's sitting on our coffee table and in our bookshelf on the nightstand collecting dust. Some of us got a new Bible for Christmas three years ago. 
and the pages are still stuck together. We continue to seek relief from broken cisterns that can't hold water. We continue to seek relief from trials instead of comfort from God's word. We don't like the answers that we get from the scriptures. That's why. Man, we are an entitled, instant gratification culture. We don't want to hear stuff like, wait on the Lord. Right? We go to the doctor, you know, and then at the the place I go to, you got to take a number, right? When you got to get a blood test. So I go over and I got to take a number. And then I take the number and I look and it's 150. And then you look at who's serving and it's 50. But it's only 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Man, that's forever. <laughs> I remember one guy was like, uh, I just, I, it was like way back in college, when I was in college. And this guy was like the most impatient person in the world. So impatient. I remember we went to lunch, we went to, went to McDonald's. And we were going through the drive-thru, and the girl said, hey, you know what? We ran out of French fries. Can you just pull over over here and so we can make some fresh fries for you? You know how you, when they don't have your order ready, you got to pull to that stall? You know, now, it's that same thing. Can you just pull over to the side, and then we'll come and bring it out to you? And he's like, how long is that going to take? Oh, it's just a couple minutes. It just, uh, we make French fries really fast here. A couple minutes, and he just drove off. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Oh, we're going to go someplace else, man. There's a Burger King right up over here, man. You know, that, you know they, they, they're going to have it. And so we go over there, we get it, all that stuff. By the time we got to Burger King, got through the line to get up to order, we had probably had our french fries already. We, we're so impatient. We don't want to wait for anything. We can't wait for stuff. And we learned this from a young age, right? It happens. Our kids, they do a really good job of training the parents in the way they should go. When I want something, I want it now. And if you don't give it to me now, I'll scream. You just want it now. Everything is now. You know, it's like, I don't know if you guys are experiencing this too, but like in our household, you know, all the stuff, all the food that you can fix in like 30 seconds, that's the stuff that's gone first in our household. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My kids will eat potato chips all day because all they got to do is go, Psh, and there's lunch. Hey, just go make a bologna sandwich. Oh, I don't want to make a bologna sandwich. Well, why not? Well, you know, you gotta take out the bread and you gotta undo the thing and then you gotta take it out. Then you gotta put mayo and mustard and all this stuff, you know. Just, we just, I just, shh. we get the noodles, right, in the bowl. You add water, put it in the microwave, two minutes, done. Instant gratification, entitled, just have no patience. Because when we look at the scriptures, the scriptures tell us what? Wait on God. And we don't like that. We don't like the circumstances that we face. We don't like the waiting. We don't like the testing. We don't like our, that our purpose is to glorify God. We don't want any life that we have not decided for ourselves. I'm going to decide what I'm going to do with my life. Not God. The culture is my foundation. The culture is my compass. The culture is my guide. Pop culture is my authority. And and here's the thing, family. We know more about pop culture than we do the scriptures. We can more easily quote pop culture references more than we can quote the scriptures. Many of us today on the spot, snap of a finger, could tell me three of Marvel's Avengers without hesitation. 
but you couldn't tell me which disciple, which was the disciple who Jesus saw sitting under the fig tree. Look it up. I'm going to test you. I'm not going to let you leave until you tell me who that disciple was. Why? Why do we do this? Why is it that we can't look to government? Why we can't look to the institutions of the world? Why we can't look to money? Why we can't look to other people? Why we can't do all this stuff? Why can't we do this? The reason why we can't do this and the reason why that's not going to solve anything is because men love the darkness instead of the light. And what we need is the light. This is the reality of sin. It's the reality of deception. It's the reality that we have fallen so much farther than we think. That we are more sinful than we could ever imagine. That our destiny was the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our destiny was the place of outer darkness. The fire reserved for the devil and his angels. The wrath of the living God. Shane, can we be saved from this? You bet we can. It's called the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus. There is good news for us today. What's the good news, Shane? Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. And if there is one thing that I have seen in the scriptures, throughout all the scriptures and you've seen throughout all of church history, our God does not fail. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. By his wounds we are healed. And the promises that bring us hope continue. It cannot fail. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the gospel of Jesus, the ultimate salvation that we all needed and will all open ultimately hope for. Our time here on earth is not even a drip in the vast ocean of eternity. No matter what we go through, family, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.